Well, hello all and good evening. Got some nice backgrounds going. We got the fire at Barbara's house. Looks really cozy. And we've got some pretty lights there, wherever Patrice is. So uh, that's kind of fun. And then the rest of us have our usual backgrounds. Well, I see Kai's kitty cat is gone and now we have a, a pretty river. So uh, anyhow, it's always fun to get a little bit of that personal touch. Well, tonight I wanna to talk about um, a very famous Zen quote that um, I've certainly thought about a lot over the years. And um, it is something that was said by the Chinese Zen master Ching Yuan Wei Shen uh, in the, uh, I forget when, it was a while ago, but he said, uh, you know, before uh, when I, before I had studied Zen for 30 years, I saw mountains as mountains and rivers as rivers. And then when I arrived at a more intimate knowledge through practice, I came to a point where I saw that mountains are not mountains and rivers are not rivers. But now that I have got its very substance, I am at rest. And now I see mountains once again as mountains and rivers once again as rivers. Now, those of us of a certain age might also remember these words from a song in the late 60s by the singer-songwriter Donovan. Uh, First there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. And back then, of course, everybody thought, oh, that's cute. That's kind of this little gibberish that Donovan is singing. Little did we know he was quoting a famous Chinese Zen master with those words. So I wanna talk a little bit about this uh, framework of uh, understanding. Uh, there is a mountain and then there is no mountain and then there is. And I'll be right back, just one second. So this is my understanding. Uh, maybe you have um, a different understanding or maybe there's other teachers who have different ways of talking about this, but I'll talk about it from my, my understanding, uh, several different angles. So first of all, this um, first statement, there is a mountain. Um, I think that you know this is a statement of how we, um, one of the ways that we perceive the world is that we think we know what it is. Um, oh, I know, I know what a mountain is. A mountain is a solid thing. It's a, it's a big heap of earth and it doesn't move and we give them names and um, it's there in the landscape. You know, it's a mountain. A mountain is, is, a, is a big solid thing. Um, a tree is also a thing. You know, it's got a trunk, it's got roots, it's got branches, it's got leaves, right? We know, we know what a tree is. A zendo. Um, you know, we know a zendo is a, a room, has walls, it has a floor, it has ceilings, it has little cushions in it. Yeah, we, we know what these, we know what the world is. And the same thing with beings, you know, um, beings are uh, individual, individual, separate people. Um, I'm separate from you. You know, I, I have I have my organs and my bones and my brain and everything in my little skin bag and it's over here and yours is over there. Um, 
you know, we're, we're separate. We're, we're permanent. I'm always me and you're always you. And we make things up about other people and we think we know who they are. Um, we think we know, um, like one time, well, I don't know if I'll tell that story. You know, we, we think we know who, who people are. <laughs> oh yeah, that's my mom. Oh yeah, that's my daughter. Oh yeah, that's my neighbor. And, and I know who, who this person is. And they're always gonna be that way. So that's one of the ways that we perceive the world that we think we know what things are. I think another way we might think about this first mountain is um, when we first begin practice and we just have this great faith in the teaching. We really, really believe, uh, we hear a teaching, maybe we hear the Four Noble Truths or the Eightfold Path uh, or some, one of the other great teachings and we go, oh, wow, that makes so much sense to me. I get it, oh, I wanna be a Buddhist. I want to study Zen. I love Zen. I'm going to do this thing. Uh, the great faith period of practice. And one of the um, examples I want to use as I work my way through these, these three mountains is the life of Dogen, uh, one of our ancestors, our, one of our you know, primary ancestors. And he had a period of his life when he had great faith in the forms of practice. Um, from a very early age, he started his practice um, really at the age of seven. He had been raised in a in a uh, in imperial court. They say he was probably the illegitimate son of a high-ranking aristocrat, and he and his mother lived in the court of this aristocrat. And when he was seven, his mother died, and this made a profound uh, impression on him. And before she had died. She encouraged him to become a monastic and to seek the truth of Buddhism and strive to relieve the suffering of humanity. So when he was 13, he entered a monastic order and he delved deeply into a very systematic study of the Buddhist teachings. He studied there and then after a few years, he left and went to another temple where he studied Rinzai Zen. And you could say that many of us are like Dogen that in the beginning of our practice, we have this devoted enthusiasm where something calls us to the way and we dive into our practice and our study. In my own path in the Buddha Dharma, I, I call this the period of my first robe. I'm a person who has sewn three robes to date. So my first robe was my first black robe when I was preparing to be ordained as a priest. And I was completely in love with the Dharma, completely in love with my teacher, totally nested in the Sangha. I was uh, applying my Zen practice to my professional work. And I sewed the most perfect and beautiful robe. I put my intention into every stitch. I chanted Buddha's name. And it was a masterpiece, that robe. It was absolutely beautiful. So I, I say homage, homage to my first robe, to my pure intention of committing myself to this way and to the way that I opened myself up so fully to receive the Dharma and to serve the temple. So we think we know what things are. We have great faith in our practice until uh-oh, 
something happens. <laughs> Wait a minute. Things aren't necessarily the way that I thought they were. And maybe this now is the period of there is no mountain. I thought that a mountain was a big, solid, unmoving thing. But the closer I look at that mountain, I begin to see that it's not really a mountain. It's actually soil. And the soil is constantly being transformed by bugs and worms and mushrooms. And, and it erodes. And sometimes whole rocks fall away and the face of the mountain falls away or, or the top of the mountain blows off and the mountain begins to look really different or it actually disappears and it's not a thing at all. It's a process. And then maybe I begin to learn about trees and I come to understand that, oh, I thought that that was just a thing, but actually it's connected with all the other trees underground. The roots are connected under the earth and they communicate with each other through the, the network of mycelium under, under the earth. And then storms uproot them. And then what was a big tall trunk becomes a log on the ground. And that begins to become a home for other animals to live in and other trees to grow out of, to little bugs. That's not a trunk, it's a palace. It's their home. So I thought I knew, I thought the mountain was solid. I thought the tree was solid. And I'm finding out they're not solid and they're changing all the time. And as Gene has many times spoken about when he speaks of the Zendo, this place that we love that we can't always go to right now in our pandemic time, but you know, we go there sometimes now. You know, this place that we just thought was walls and a floor and a ceiling, he can tell the story of all of the um, wood and where it came from and who made it and where the statues come from. And when he talks about the Zendo like that, it's not a thing at all. It's this, um, it's this experience that has been co-created by so many of us over so much time. And the same thing is true with us as beings. These separate, we think we're separate, but we're not separate. Even though it looks like we're separate in our little Zoom windows or in our skin bag bodies, actually um, we are breathing in and out with all of the beings on the planet. We are breathing in and out the air um, that um, we share with um, humans and with with the trees we breathe out carbon dioxide and the plants and the trees take it in and then they transform it to the oxygen that allows us to live so things aren't so solid things aren't what they seem and maybe we could say in this little story i'm telling about practice that there's this period of of great faith that we have in the, the first mountain where we, 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 we love the Dharma, we love our practice, everything seems just so, and it's so beautiful. And then maybe after a while, we begin to have some questions about the forms, about our companions and some doubt arises. So I would offer to you that this second mountain might be considered the period of practice, the time of practice, which we could call great doubt. In Dogen's life, 
he had a period of great doubt. You know, he started off and he studied really hard and he was a really, really good student. But as he deepened in his studies, he found that he had this vexing, vexing question, which was, um, they say that all beings are endowed with Buddha nature uh, and Dharma nature by birth. And if this is the case, then why is it necessary to practice and to seek enlightenment? And nobody could answer this question. He, he asked all of the esteemed teachers in Japan with whom he studied, and he could not find anybody who could give him an answer to his question. And he was also, he became highly critical of the um, Buddhism at the time, the way that it was being expressed in Japan, the bureaucracy and the, the hypocrisy that he experienced in a lot of the practitioners of the way. He was highly satisfied, dissatisfied. So there he was, he had thought there was a mountain and then it turned out there wasn't a mountain. And he was in a period of, of great doubt, doubt and dissatisfaction, which caused him to decide to get in a boat and to cross the East China Sea and to seek a true teacher in China. Maybe you have hit a period of great doubt after a period of great faith in your own life or in your practice. It's not uncommon in practice that we start hitting bumps in the road after the, after the honeymoon is over. Maybe there's some aspect of the teaching that you just, you just struggle with, like Dogen did. And you ask and you ask and nobody can answer that question to your satisfaction. Or maybe you get disillusioned with your teacher. Or maybe you start having little problems with some of the people in the Sangha. Or maybe you doubt your own capability in practice. This happened to me after my period of great faith, after my beautiful, perfect, sewing my beautiful, perfect first robe, I took it to my teacher um, right after, um, right before I was going to be ordained. And, and I showed it to her and she picked it up and she said, oh, you have to sew another robe. I said, what do you mean? She said, oh, this is too heavy. This is gonna be too hot. You know, I was going to be going to the monastery and spending some time at Tassajara. This, this is going to be way too heavy and way too hot. You need to sew a lighter robe. Well, I was furious. I said, well, why didn't you tell me this before I sewed my robe? You know, this is my perfect robe. Um, you felt the cloth. Why didn't you tell me then? Well, I don't know what happened, but it was kind of symbolic because that then began a period of time when I was very very frustrated and had difficulties with her and with the practice. Um, I continued to practice diligently, but um, it was quite a bit of a tussle. And so I bought lightweight fabric and I sewed my second robe and it was not a perfect robe at all because I was sewing it in my dissatisfaction and in my frustration and I sewed carelessly or I had been so, so careful with my first robe. I just, I was, I was not careful with, with my second robe. And when I finished it, it was crooked and it didn't never hung right in all the, the 10 years that I wore that robe. But that was the robe that I wore because my teacher was right. My first robe was too heavy and this robe was lighter and it was much more comfortable for me to wear when I went to the, to the monastery and in my daily life at the temple. 
this, this period of time when I was wearing my imperfect robe, I was completely humbled by my life. It was the difficult middle period of life when there were so many difficult things going on. My mother's sickness and death, um, um, struggles with my own health, um, relationship issues, um, community issues. It was the, the time of my imperfect robe. And yet I say homage to my second robe, homage to this robe of the time of difficulty and doubt and confusion and paradox. So I thought there was a mountain, but then the more that I studied, I found out there wasn't a mountain. But then after long and continued devoted practice, I realized, oh, there is a mountain, the third mountain, the mountain that grows out of the first and the second mountain the mountain that is who we are when we have traveled through our great faith and our great doubt. And then we begin to um, find our true home in the one that we are. Now for Dogen, this happened when he went to China in his, in his frustration, in his period of great doubt, even in China, he was traveling around, traveling around. He just, he, he still couldn't find a true teacher. And so it was really getting pretty painful for him. And he was almost going to give up and go back home to Japan. But right before he, he, uh, he returned to Japan, he ran into an old monk who told him, oh, you should go check out this teacher called Ru Jing. I think you might, you might find that Ru Jing is a person that, that you would be able to relate to. So he said, go, go to Ru Jing's temple as soon as you can. And Dogen did. And Ru Jing welcomed him as a father welcomes a son. And he told Dogen, this eager, questioning, restless, young, gifted monk, he told Dogen, you can come and see me anytime, 24 hours a day. You just come into my quarters and, and we can talk about the Dharma. And this availability and this kindness rekindled in the young monk, in the young inquiring mind, a burning desire for truth. And that was where Dogen began to um, discover his way with the generous support of his teacher, his way, which was different. It was based on the first mountain of his careful studies in, in the traditional monasteries. And it was also based on his doubt and his restlessness. He began to weave his own understanding of the Dharma and particularly was um, inspired with the, one of Ru Jing's core teachings of body and mind cast off, Shinjin Datsuraku. When, when Dogen heard Ru Jing say to one of the neighboring monks in the Zendo, cast off body and mind, that was when it really crystallized for Dogen. And, and he realized the answer to his question at that moment. For him, dropping off body and mind, it meant being radically free, being free of form, being free of fixed views, realizing there was no ultimate purpose or meaning. And yet we live and we live with devotion and we live with love. 
even though ultimately there is no meaning and there is no purpose. And yet our Buddha nature is expressed through our particular lives. So this was the answer to his question. Understanding duality and penetrating it thoroughly through our non-dual mode of existence. And so his remaining life consisted of his um, teaching of this very truth, which is the truth that we love so much in Dogen's teaching, like in the Genjo Koan, the three mountains are there. The first line of the Genjo Koan, there is form. The second line of the Genjo Koan, there is no form. <laughs> And the third line of the Genjo Koan, it's beyond form and emptiness. Again, Dogen teaching the three mountains, we study the self, the first mountain, to forget the self, the second mountain, and then to be actualized by the myriad things, the third mountain. So interesting that you know, it would be so easy to, and, and we, I think we are often judgmental of ourselves when we're in that period of great doubt, you know, as if we're somehow not being good students because we have that doubt. But like, you know, thinking about it in terms of Dogen's life, Dogen's doubt and also his faith led him to create this original teaching, which is what we find to be so nourishing today and which really um, was the foundational um, insight of our lineage of Zen. The third mountain. And so I sewed my third robe, my brown robe, the robe that um, was given to me by Patrick when he um, said, yeah, I'll, I'll support you in your in your um, wish to wear a robe and be a teacher. And so I third, sewed my third robe and the, the weight of that robe is just right. The fabric is not too thin and it's not too thick. And I sewed it with, with great devotion and with great care. I'm not, and I'm now neither the starry-eyed devotee of the first robe and I'm not the tortured doubter of the second robe. And yet the brown robe of me having settled into the one that I am contains both um, my perfect robe and my imperfect robe. And I continue to evolve. Um, when I was just before the ceremony, when I put on my third robe, I vowed to myself that I would, um, that this robe would teach me how to nourish and how to manifest embodied wisdom in service of my people. And what I've been learning in the five, six years that I've been wearing the third robe is that this journey of learning about embodied wisdom is taking me into new directions that um, I am, I'm studying about the body, about the nervous system, about the heart, um, about energy, you know, these the studies, um, which they are compatible for me with, with my Zen vows. And yet I also recognize that they're taking me um, into lands that go beyond the temple walls. 
And so um, there's this quality of fresh, authentic, not knowing as I am um, wearing this third robe of returning to understanding this mountain of just trying to be the one that I am. And I think that this is something that we all have as an opportunity as we move through our periods of great faith and our periods of great doubt. And then if we're lucky and we hang in there, we settle into just being the ones that we are informed by all of the rivers and the streams of our life. We become a confluence. I love that word. Jean and I were just talking about it. I think this morning, this idea of being a confluence of all the streams of our lives, all the influences and all of the teachings and all of the people that we've known, we, we just, as we grow older and, and continue to practice, we just become this great confluence of, of all the waters. And um, as, as, as King Yan the, said um, himself, through diligent study, we arrive at a more intimate knowledge. And then we finally, when we finally realize it's very substance, then, then we, can, we can rest. And that's the, the third mountain. Oh yeah, mountains are mountains. Rivers are rivers. As Dogen said, when you find your place where you are, practice unfolds, actualizing the fundamental point. So I invite you to think a little bit in terms of your own life and maybe if this um, kind of three, this three phase poem or poetic way of understanding the world has any resonance for you, things that you thought were one way and then you found out weren't that way and then struggling with a seeming duality and then realizing at some point, oh, actually it is okay. I can do this. Catherine, um, one time when she was teaching that beautiful koan of uh, Chan and her soul are separate, you know, she gave this talk that I've always remembered about how we live out these seeming dualities without trying to resolve them. But if we just steadfastly keep devotedly doing what feels right, at some point, the feeling of dualism falls away. And we realize not to, not to, that's, that's what our gosho is. Seems like there's two and there are two and yet also not two. This is the third mountain, the merging of difference and unity. So that's what I have prepared to share with you. I won't sing the little Donovan song, <laughs> though <laughs> I could. It's a, it's a pretty cute little song. If you've never heard it, you should Google it. Um, so let's go ahead and have announcements and then stick around, if you will, and share about your three mountains, your first mountain, your second mountain, your third mountain, your great faith, your great doubt and your perhaps insights into some kind of integration that happens um, when we just allow the rivers to find their way 
until they settle into the one that we are. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. <laughs>